Here's to you, pageant girl. You're a game changer. You're the underdog. You are the trendsetter. You're the one who speaks up for what you believe in. You build others up when so many others have beat them down. You don't back down in the face of adversity. And you have no respect for the haters. Some people love you. Others hate you. There are those who build you up and those who tear you down. Because the one thing they'll never do is define who you are. Because as a group, you are united as one. You hold each other up with strength. And while some may just see you as beauty queens, we see you as leaders. When the lights go out and the crown comes off, you'll always be proud to say, I am a pageant girl. Hey, it's Miss USA 2014, Nia Sanchez, and you are listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey everybody, welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you useful interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, lifestyle entrepreneur, pageant host, author, and quite honestly, somebody who just wants to help you become a better person overall. Now, if pageant life is over for you, or it soon could be, and you're wondering, well, what do I do now, or what's next? This podcast is designed to help make the transition to real life and the school of hard knocks a little bit easier for you to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us today. Let's get started. Today's guest is no stranger to the pageant world. She was Miss USA 2014 and runner-up that year at Miss Universe. Also, the first ever contestant from Nevada to win the crown. She is a fourth-degree black belt in Taekwondo, which she began practicing when she was eight years old. She was also the first Miss USA ever featured on the cover of Taekwondo Times magazine. She also teaches women's self-defense workshops and spends three months of the year serving on a mission in Mexico. She married her husband Daniel in 2015, and together they share much of their lives and tips on relationships on her YouTube channel, as well as her hair and makeup tutorials and worldly travels. Nia Sanchez, I don't think I ever see you without a smile on your face. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That was quite an intro. I love it. <laughs> I think everybody always likes to relive <laughs> their, uh, their their great moments. Uh, it's nice to hear. All right. All in one place. It's pretty nice. <laughs> so, so it's been four years from you, you know, removed from the crown, and I know you're still very involved in the Miss USA system, and I know you go to the pageants every year. Talk about kind of how life has uh, transpired since that time. Life has been pretty beautiful since being Miss USA. I got married a few months after being Miss USA, which was absolutely amazing. So now I live in Los Angeles, married to my absolutely wonderful husband, Daniel Bucco, and I'm just I mean, I just feel very blessed. So I'm lucky to do what I love. I love working with women and empowering women to become better in any way that I can help. So I do coaching with pageant girls that are competing for their state or local titles and international titles. I get to teach women self-defense in California and across the country. And I also am doing lots of events that are just all about bringing women together and empowering them and creating space for networking. So all good things. Yeah, plenty of things that you're doing. We'll certainly uh, get into all that and unpack a lot. But I, I wanted to chat about your wedding real quick. Now, you got married right after you basically uh, gave up the crown there. 
Um, and, you know, in that time, you, you were very much high profile in the spotlight and your wedding dress became almost a fashion statement. I was actually reading an article about it today, a convertible dress. Talk about what it was like to kind of set some trends with wedding dresses when you were getting married. I fell in love with my dress when I tried it on at Kleinfeld Bridal in New York City. And I had never even thought of the idea of essentially a convertible dress. So I had a mermaid dress and then I also had a ball gown skirt around it. And it was so it was such a fun thing to see women or have so many women message me after I got married and after I put my video up on YouTube and it was in multiple articles on the knot and other articles online and to hear someone say, I had no idea that there was such thing as a convertible dress. I did one for my wedding too. So it was fun to kind of be able to be a part of that. Well, let's uh, take a step back, if you will. I, I love to talk about your professional life, and we certainly will, but I always like to kind of go back to pageant life to talk about how it's kind of prepared you for the life that you're living right now. So when you go back to pageant life and think about, you know, some of the things that you learned and maybe took from that you still use today, what would those be? Oh, dear. I've learned so much. Well, it, when I was more in the pageant world, I would say I've learned so many of my skills through Taekwondo. I learned a lot of life skills through Taekwondo, and I feel like those life skills were sharpened and refined through pageantry. So being able to speak to a large audience of people, which is what I now still do, I learned and developed and refined those skills through pageantry. So it, everything from presenting myself well to be able to speak well in front of a, a group of people have really set me up for success with what I do now. I do motivational speaking. I do teaching in front of groups of, you know, a hundred or more women for self-defense. And so I've just been able to refine my skills through pageantry and it's helped me set me up for success for sure. Well, I was reading an interview um, today that you did a while back um, where you basically said you became your best when you were a hundred percent you and that you weren't trying to, you know, be what the judges thought that you are, what you, what you thought the judges wanted. And you said you did that for so many years. So I guess talk about why you felt like you needed to do that in the beginning. Oh, my goodness. I feel like most girls or women, myself included, you just want you. There's a point where you just want to be accepted and you want people to like you. And so sometimes we lean towards, well, this, whatever it is, X, Y and Z is what people like. So I'm going to try to be X, Y and Z. So when it was my competition when I was competing I was told by a director they need a blonde you have to be blonde I did not want to be a blonde but she told me to be a blonde so I did it and you know there were so many things where I was told to fit into the mold of what a pageant girl should be and I did that and I was not as successful as I think I could have been if I would have realized earlier on to just be 100% authentically myself and that would have set me up for more success so, when I got to that point where I was like, this is me, and if you like it, great, and if not, that's all right, too, that's when I became more successful. Yeah, well, what triggered that moment where you did finally say, you know what, I am who I am, take it or leave it? Was there a moment that it happened that made you feel that way? There was a moment in my life where I decided to just really focus on a lot of self-growth, and it wasn't necessarily for pageants. It was just, hey, I want to become the best version of myself because I feel like I'm kind of lost. So for me, I moved to Hong Kong and I was going to be there for about seven months. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take this time in a different country away from all my friends and family to really identify who I am and who I want to be and really build that. So I, re I read self-help books. I dove into my Bible, which is a big part of my life. And I just took time to really develop the type of person that I wanted to be. 
and stuck to that and didn't change who I was for anybody else. So it was just a point where I was like, Ugh, I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to be somebody else and it's not working. And so I think it was more of like, I was just exhausted from trying to put on like this face of what I thought the judges wanted when it came to competition. So even outside of the competition, I decided I'm just going to be myself through and through, whether it's life or pageants or anything else. And hopefully the judges will like that. Now, unlike a lot of national title holders, you were not, you're you're not a lifelong pageant girl. I think you started competing when you were 19. What, what triggered you to want to compete? I was actually living in Washington at the time. I was flipping through the channels and I ended up landing on the Miss USA pageant with my first time really ever watching a pageant. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. Ended up watching it halfway through the pageant. I decided I wanted to compete before the winner had even been announced. <laughs> so I picked up the phone. I Googled pageant recruiters for Miss USA. I called somebody and the person I spoke to actually said, hey, um, I'm watching Miss USA. Can you call me back after the pageant? So I was like, oh, this is like a thing. <laughs> like people really like are into this. Okay. And so after the pageant was over. I spoke to the person that was recruiting and um, then she signed me up for a local pageant. And after that, if I had done well at the local pageant, then they would sponsor the state pageant. So it was really on a whim, but I do love competition. So I think I like the fact that I could be competitive just in a more feminine way. Well, you mentioned earlier about, you know, not being what the judges necessarily wanted, but more being yourself. But what did you change uh, each year of competition to kind of get stronger and closer to the crown as you finally made your way there? I wish I could be like, this is the one thing that I kept improving <laughs> on, but it, it really was a windy road. You know how they say like the path to success is not a straight path. There was dips and turns and curves and puddles to jump over and everything. It was for me because I did not come from the pageant world and I didn't really know the steps to success. I was just kind of figuring it out. So there was a time where I did a lot of pageant coaching and I felt like at looking back on it, I had become the perfect pageant patty and I wasn't necessarily me. So then the next year I competed, I was like, I'm not doing any coaching at all. I feel like I'm better <laughs> when I'm just myself. So it was, it was not just one thing, but I think ultimately the more success that I gained was when I was most myself. For example, my first year competing at Miss California USA, I received second runner up and I was 19 years old. I talked about working at Victoria's Secret and living at home with my grandma and I had nothing to, to really show for, I guess you could say, compared to say Nana Merriweather, who was first runner up and was at UCLA and had graduated from USC or vice versa and had a charity in Africa and all these things, but I was 100% myself and I wasn't trying to be perfect and I feel like the judges really connected with that. And then when I won Miss Nevada USA years later, that was when I had released all of that trying to be perfect. And I was just myself again. Well, so let's talk about the, those two things that you just mentioned, California, Nevada. I'm interested to know, you know, why did you end up moving from California to Nevada to compete after years of being in California? It's very multifaceted. I remember my last year at California, I had the offer to go work in Hong Kong. So I said, if I don't win this year, I'm going to Hong Kong and I'm going to kind of reevaluate where I'm at, what I want to do when it comes to pageantry. So I've invested this time and it's something I love and I want to be Miss USA. So while I was in, in Hong Kong, I had decided to move to Nevada. I had work opportunity in Nevada and had family in Nevada. And I still wanted to compete for Miss USA, but I, I obviously didn't feel like I was 
going anywhere and getting anywhere at California whatsoever. My last year competing, there were over 330 contestants competing that year. So I was doing well, but I didn't know if I would ever get to Miss USA if I stayed at California. I didn't know if they would recognize me, if they would, if I would stand out enough. Mm-hmm. So I went to Nevada. Um, I moved to Nevada after I got back from Hong Kong, and that was my journey. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it the right way. I found work. I have family. I've been here a lot as a kid. This is like a second home to me. So I'm just going to go, and I'm going to give it my all, um, and I'm going to compete for Miss Nevada USA. Hopefully I can get to the Miss USA stage. It was hard for me, though, because I am born and raised in California, and I love California, but the goal, the ultimate goal for me was, do I want to compete at Miss USA or do I just want to compete at my state for my whole life? You know? So I moved to Nevada for legit reasons, but also because I wanted to compete for Miss USA. And I was hoping that that would be a way that I could do so. You never know, but that was my hope is, okay, maybe I can go through Nevada to become Miss USA, or at least compete for Miss USA. Sure, and, and look, girls do it all the time. I know a couple of national winners have done it. There's girls that certainly did it this year that were high up in the in the rankings at Miss USA. Were you expecting to get backlash for making that type of decision? I wasn't at all because I had gone about it in the right way, the way that by the books, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I actually had been in Nevada for five months from when I moved from Hong Kong to Nevada and then the competition date, there was five months and it, and I thought it was six, but then when I went back and looked at like all my paperwork, it was actually five. So I waited an entire other year and competed. So I was like, well, I've been here for a year and a half. I have, you know, I have roots down. I have my family, I have my work, I have my friends. There's no way there would ever be any backlash because it's legit. But, um, yeah, that wasn't the fact, as many people may know. So. <laughs> well, hey, the good news is your plan, your plan worked out pretty well, didn't it? It, it ended up working out. Um, I just, honestly, for me, my goal was to be on the stage at Miss USA. I re- that was a dream of mine for so many years, and and I was just so thankful to even have a chance to compete for Miss USA. Very cool. Well, hey, I jumped on the phone today with a couple of state title holders who I know absolutely love you, and they're huge fans of yours, and I said, would you like to ask any questions of Nia that you want answered? So I've got a couple for you if you don't mind answering. Oh, I would love it. Okay, so the first one comes from uh, Megan Gordon in South Carolina. Uh, she says, have you oh. found it to be a challenge to remain grounded after being thrown into the spotlight? Ooh, such a good question. <laughs> I feel like it would have been a huge challenge for me if I had won California at 19 years old and been thrown into the spotlight. I was not mature enough and I was not ready for it. So I definitely believe in God's timing. I did not become Miss USA until I was ready for that or my state title holder um, title until I was ready. So to stay grounded, I I think it's a lot of mental discipline. It's knowing what things keep you grounded and keeping those part of your regular life, even when you have the extra attention. So for me, it was reading my Bible, my devotionals, staying close to my my like OG friends and family and just keeping those people around me that really helped me stay grounded and not be swayed by the extra attention that you get from having a title. Well, sure. And, you know, being Miss USA, um, you've got a social media following Instagram, 200,000 people. I mean, you could easily be like, I'm Nia Sanchez. You can't just reach out to me. You need to go through the proper channels. Is it hard not to be like that? Oh my gosh. No, (laughs) but I'm, 
I'm so the person that I just don't see myself like that. And some people even like try to tell me like, Hey, you need to know, you need to know who you are. And I'm like, yeah, I'm Mia. I'm the same person that I've been since, you know, forever. It's just me. So I just don't look at myself that way. I'm, I'm Mia. Like you can reach out to me. We will connect if, if at all possible. And I try my best to make it happen. So no, I just look at myself as a normal person. I'm trying to, help people and give back and do positive things. Sure. Well, so, uh, I could see how it could be that way, but yeah. it's, you know, well, not for me. And do you see a lot of girls who, you know, they'll win either a state title or a national title and develop, you know, I guess a perceived arrogance. I mean, I'm sure you see that out there. Yes. Oh yeah. It's hilarious. I'm like, okay, girlfriend. <laughs> um, sure. But whatever. I mean, it's, I just don't get it because I just have always been raised and always lived as like seeing people as everybody's equal. So I just don't get it. But definitely that ha- that does happen. People just get a big head about them. Well, here's the second question. It's it's kind of similar to the first one, but it is uh, what's your advice to girls wanting to stay true to themselves, but also wanting to be accepted? I think it's really important to even, it might even help to like write down, like maybe the things that you're struggling with. If you're struggling to stay true to yourself uh, with morals or with values or with like keeping your faith as part of your life or whatever it might be, like write those things down, that might help you. Um, And then just have people in your life for accountability. I think accountability is really important. But, you know, just being true to yourself, it's easier said than done, I guess. But maybe writing it down, maybe having those people in your life to keep you accountable and not let you get a big head and, you know, keep you grounded. Okay. Some good advice there. Thanks for answering those. So, uh, of course. Give me more. We got more. Yeah, I'm ready. Well, I've got a few <laughs> here. So um, I do want to talk about one thing that I find is really interesting in the Miss USA system. I don't see it in the other organizations. That's not to say that it doesn't exist. But what I see um, that's really cool is the Miss USA. And I mean, the national title holder sisterhood. It seems incredibly strong and supportive of each other. I know there's a big group of you out there in LA, Shandy and Susie, uh, who were previously on the podcast or a big part of that. Talk about what it's like to be part of that group. It is pretty amazing to have a sisterhood of women that support each other and create friendship because of something we have in common. Being with USA is something that I don't think anybody will fully comprehend unless they've had the opportunity to be Miss USA. You don't quite understand what the year is like and what you go through, even if it's told to you. So it's, it's great that we have that in common and then we all support each other. It's, it's pretty amazing. Even Deshauna, who lives on the other side of the country, or Kyra, who recently gave up her title, we still all stay in contact. We all message each other. We all we have group chats. It's just it's really great to have that supportive sisterhood. And it's the title of Miss USA that connects us. It's, I'm very lucky to have it for sure. Now, let's talk about right after you gave up the title. I've talked to every national title holder about this, and I think there is a little bit of a gap of time where um, maybe you're a little unsure of what to do. Shandy and Susie talked about how they went through their auditioning processes and how they, you know, they felt like they were stereotyped a little bit and it was a bit of a transition. But for you, you know, after the 2014 title, you give up the crown and now you're just Nia again. What did you mm-hmm. kind of have to go through to get, you know, get yourself going professionally? Oh, dear. It is weird to go from being Miss USA, having a car and a driver <laughs> and a manager and someone checking in on you every day and sending you a schedule to like absolutely nothing. It's the weirdest thing <laughs> in the world. Um, I was very blessed to have a lot of work lined up right after Miss USA. So I had about a half 
of a week off. And then I went straight to two months of work. I was living out of one suitcase for two months, essentially. Um, so I was blessed to have that, but it's, I don't know. I've just been very blessed to work in the field that I love. I love working with other women and it's more been a choice for me to say, Hey, this is a path that I want to go. So I'm going to create opportunities for myself and I'm going to keep moving one foot in front of the other until it happens. Um, I still do a little bit of the LA work where you go out for auditions and Mm -hmm. commercials and hosting and all of that. But that grind is weird because being Miss USA and having these connections and people knowing you as me, I'm Miss USA. And then to going into a room with, you know, a hundred other models and you're just one of the other pretty girls in the room and you're like, dang, nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares that I was Miss USA. I have to like show up and be able to do the work. So it's definitely interesting to still, I still kind of have one foot in that LA life with auditioning and casting. And it's, it's definitely an interesting world to partially be a part of. Well, you're one of the few people that can give me um, this comparison. And that is, you know, when you were competing in California and Nevada and you had a vision in your head of if I win, this is what will happen. Compare that to what actually happened and what what are the differences? Hmm. Okay. So being like super, super, super real, I thought I would be like a famous television host. (laughs) because I love like on camera hosting or having like a travel job and hosting all over the world. And it didn't necessarily happen. Something that I feel like I learned during my years Miss USA is although being Miss USA is an amazing platform and opportunity, you still have to put in the work and you still have to have the talent to back it up. So yeah, I definitely thought things would be a little different than they are now, but I've also learned like, hey, if it's not happening how you want it to happen, just put your head down and do the work to make it happen. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just I don't want to ever sound ungrateful. Like, I'm so thankful for all my opportunities that Miss USA has brought into my life. But it's definitely not what you imagine it to be. <laughs> well, was there a moment after you gave up the title where you, you were doing maybe auditions and working and you realized one day, you know what? The, the title's just not going to carry me anymore. I actually have to, like, get down and dirty and figure this thing out. Oh, I'm already there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, the title is always a, a great thing, and it's a good talking point. But bottom line is, if you don't have the skill or the talent to back up what you want to do, then you're not going to get the job, uh, where whatever it is, especially in L.A. Like, it might be great for the conversation starter to get you in the door, but you're not going to book the job if you don't have the talent to back it up. So, yeah, the title definitely does not carry me as to, like, getting the paid job, but it may open the door to start the conversation. And then I have to back it up with the talent and the skill uh, for whatever the job might call for. So well, it's, hey, it's interesting. Sure. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I mean, you're doing a lot of different things right now. And, you know, one of the things that if somebody follows you on you know, Instagram, for instance, they, they realize you're doing a lot and you're traveling the world and doing a lot of great things. So how did you parlay the popularity of being Miss USA to help build your social media audience? Um, yeah, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Most of my following came during my year as Miss USA. I love the pageant fans. They're like my besties. They're my peeps. And I feel like most of my following is from the pageant world. So with that being said, I also, since I love pageantry and so much of my success is from it, I love staying in contact with the pageant world. And I feel like it all just kind of compounds. Like it continues to grow through my involvement with what got me there in the first place. So that's why I love like coaching girls and going to pageants and still being very involved. 
Well, here's a question that I, I actually have talked to quite a few contestants about this, and they follow you and, you know, a bunch of the other uh, former Miss USAs, and they'll say, you know, she's got a huge following. I wonder, does she make money off of that following? So my question to you is, have you figured out how to take what you've, you know, earned as an audience and turn that into a professional income, if you will? Yes, sometimes. So there is a lot of money to be made on social media if you know how to do it right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you kind of have, or I personally want to be careful what I'm promoting, what I'm sharing and getting compensated for. So I could, if I wanted to get a paid post or two or even three every single week for X amount and be rolling in the dough, but it may not be very authentic or very real. And that might be the, the real products that I use. So if I do do something that it's paid, I, it's only something that I actually use. So I turned down 90%, probably even 95% of opportunities because I don't want to share something that I'm not like in love with. So I could be making a lot more money on social media, but I also want to make sure the people that are following me know that I'm only going to share stuff that I actually love. So if it happens to, to cross over where it's something that I love and they want to pay me for it, sure, sounds good. But it's not something that's my main focus. And because also I know that social media is not like, it's not going to last forever. Like Instagram is not going to be popular forever. So I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket of just making some quick money off of a few posts here and there. So did you have somebody who kind of helped coach you and mentor you on, on how you were going to you know operate on social media? Or is this kind of your own sixth sense of how you like to do it? It's a bit of just learn as I, as I go for me. So when it comes to social media, I've definitely done my research and trying my best to understand the whole world and how much people should be getting paid and what works and what doesn't work. And then I just decided if I am going to get paid for something, it's going to be something I love. And besides that, it's not so much for me. So, <laughs> And there's plenty of times that I share stuff that I don't get paid for just because I want people, I want to be able to share with people things that I might want to know. I might want to know what someone's favorite mask is or skincare or hair care. And why I shouldn't have to get paid for everything. Like if I would want to learn, I would share the same information. So, well, yeah. let's talk about the one thing you do love, and that is your your fourth degree black belt and your your self defense workshops and taekwondo. Um, so, you know, I, I guess going back, what made you want to get into taekwondo in the first place? Because it seems like it's a big part of your life. It is a huge part of my life. I did not want to get into it at all. My dad beat me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, my parents had gotten divorced. We moved to a new city. I was the most shy, timid, introverted kid ever. And my dad being a, he had come from a military family, joined the military and then worked at a prison and saw some of the worst of the worst people in the world on a regular. So he saw his little girl at eight years old being super timid and shy. And that probably scared him a bit. So he was like, we need to do something to bring you out of your shell and make you more confident. So he put me into Taekwondo. I refused to do it unless he joined as well. So we ended up kind of making it a family affair. My dad, myself, and my brother all joined Taekwondo and went up through the ranks together. So at what point did it really become an integral part of your life? Because, I mean, I I remember going back to Miss USA. I mean, you even talked about it, I believe, in your questions. Um, You're now doing workshops. I mean, it's a a big part of what you do. So, you know, at what point did that just kind of transition into, I'm going to make this kind of a foundational piece of my life? It just kind of organically and naturally became a piece of my life and a piece of who I am. Taekwondo is 
sure great for learning how to like defend yourself and all that, but it also teaches so many life skills. It teaches integrity, community, perseverance, self-control, like so many things that you just need to be successful in life. So the, the time that I really started to fall in love with it was after my first competition, which was about six months in. I had my first competition and that was re- what really got me interested because I always saw a room for myself to improve and grow. So every time I went back to the class, I would train harder so I could do better at my next competition. And it was always this um, cycle of challenging myself to become better. And I really thrived in that area. So the competition is what got me hooked for sure. And when did you come up with the idea for the workshops? The workshops actually started in a different sense. When I was, before I was even Miss Nevada USA, I had started volunteering with a women's shelter in Las Vegas, the Shade Tree. I would go in and I would do stranger danger classes for the kids and I would teach self-defense to the women. Mm -hmm. And that was really important because so many of the women there were escaping abusive relationships. And even the kids had the chance to be even abducted by their fathers just because it was overall just unhealthy situation. So that's where it started. It developed even more when I was Miss USA and teaching in colleges and campus, school campuses, high school campuses. And then after Miss USA, I wanted to continue my work and I didn't quite know how I was teaching for other groups randomly, but I decided I want to make it something more of my own. So created my own workshops with that. So if you teach personal self-defense workshops, my question is, have you ever actually had to use it in real life? I've not had to use it in an extreme sense, as if someone was attacking me to be violent um, in some way. The only way I've ever had to use it is just maybe say like some drunk guy coming up being too aggressive, that sure. kind of thing, and, and knowing how to release those grips and get away from that situation. Um, but nothing on the extreme level, thank the Lord. And, you know, I don't wish that on anybody, but I always tell women, hopefully none of us will ever have to experience that period ever in our entire life. But if, God forbid, something happens, we should be prepared and have the tools to be able to defend ourselves. Well, let's talk about your other love, because anybody that follows you know that you love to travel the world and you seem to be everywhere all the time. Um, Where did that start for you? And I guess, how do you do it? I thought you were going to say my husband and you said talk about my other love. I thought you were going to say Daniel. Maybe I should add the third one in there. Right. Well, he's my first love and then everything else after that. Um, Travel. I'm obsessed with travel. If you look at my social media, I'm trying real hard to be a travel Instagrammer, but it's hard because I also want to post my personal stuff and not only travel. But I am obsessed with travel. I've been traveling long before becoming Miss USA. I had lived in Germany and Hong Kong and spent some time in the Middle East. I'm obsessed with culture. I'm obsessed with just people from all over the world. So, yeah, it's something that I've definitely fallen in love with. And I totally forgot your question because I got so excited about travel and I forgot your question. (laughs) I I guess I was just asking, where did it start? I mean, when did you actually start traveling and saying, this is something I want to do all the time? I My very, very first time really traveling was a Mexico mission trip. And it was just a three-day little trip to south of Ensenada, Mexico. And we got to see, like, the culture and the community down there and give back. That expanded to me going on a two-week trip to Africa on my own at 17 years old. Not completely on my own. I went with a group, but I didn't go with any family members. And that was absolutely amazing. I fell in love with the Kenyan people, fell in love with the language. Swahili is so beautiful. And after high school, my grandmother said, hey, you need, I had like a bad breakup with my high school boyfriend. And she said, you need to get out of here. Your cousins need a nanny. 
because your aunt is studying for her master's and she doesn't have any time to watch the kids right now. So go to, I'm going to buy you a ticket to Germany. Go be a nanny for your cousins. So I went to Germany and was a nanny for a family that I had known of, but I had never met. And I, they didn't really speak any English and I didn't really speak any German. So I've just been in so many situations in my life where I was just thrown into kind of culture shock. And ended up really loving it. Same for Hong Kong. They don't speak a lot of English in Hong Kong, at least not where I was at. Um, but it was so fun and it was such a great cultural experience. So I've been very blessed to be encouraged to travel. My grandmother has always encouraged me to travel while I'm young. She had three kids by the time she was 25 or 26. And she said, you're young. Don't get held down by a man until till you're married. Don't get held down by anything. Go travel the world and experience life. I'm very thankful to have her. Yeah, way to go, Grandma. Favorite place you think you've mm-hmm. been to this point? Oh, goodness gracious. I'm going to say the Philippines. And I, there are places that I fall in love with and I keep going to. So I've been to Costa Rica three times in two and a half years. And I'm going back to the Philippines this year. So it's going to be three times in two years in the Philippines. Um, but I love it. The people and the islands and the, the ocean, the sand, the everything. It's just such a beautiful country. Well, now let's go back to your first love, because I certainly don't want him to feel left out, and that's Daniel. Um, (laughs) You guys obviously got married, and it's, uh, you know, from what everybody can tell, I mean, you guys have a great relationship. Now, I have talked to many former title holders about this, um, and that is having a supportive man in your life. You mentioned you had a bad breakup in high Mm -hmm. school. I see so many girls in the pageant world who get absolutely destroyed um, you know, either from a confidence standpoint or a self-esteem standpoint by guys that either try to control them or just, you know, make them feel like they're not good enough. Talk about what it's like to have a guy who does make you feel great. Well, first of all, I'm just going to say a little something for all the ladies that have the man that is controlling or not supporting. He is not the one for you. I'm just saying, if it pageants is something that you love, the right man will support you in that. Uh, I am so thankful to have Daniel. I remember when we were dating and I told him I want to compete for Miss Nevada USA. And he was like, um, no, <laughs> he was <laughs> at first not super supportive because he was so serious about our relationship and he wanted us to move forward. And he already a few months in knew that he, if things had continued to go well, wanted to propose. And if I had done pageants, he would have to wait a bit. So he was not excited but I told him it's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that I want to have no regrets about. And I don't want to maybe get married to him one day and say, what if I had just tried one more time? So I shared my heart with him and he, he needed a minute. He said, give me a week. Let me pray about it. And he came back to me and he was all in. He's like, all right, what fashion shows do we need to watch to work on your runway walk? What questions do I need to ask? Let's do it. He was all in. And when I won Miss USA, it was not, yeah, you won Miss USA. He said, we won Miss USA. He put my crown on. He was like number one supportive <laughs> man. Um, and, and that is not only in pageants, and that has transferred into life. So he supports my passions. He supports me teaching self-defense to women. Um, and we, I think we're very blessed to have a beautiful life together because he's so supportive, and I'm the same for him. I support his passions as well. Well, I know the girls want to know the, the fairy tale, how you two met story, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Oh, my gosh. Well, if he was on this podcast right now, he would have a different story than me, because <laughs> according to him, we met differently. Um, my version of the story is we met at church in L.A. at Mosaic. My girlfriend had invited me to church with her on Good Friday. And so I went to church with my girlfriend, and he was welcoming people in at the door. He was one of the greeters. 
and we have mutual friends. So he recognized me, although I had no idea who he was. And he goes, oh, you're, you're Nia Sanchez, Kristen's friend, Kristen Dalton, former Miss USA, Kristen Dalton. And, um, I said, yeah, that's me. But like, how do you know my name? (laughs) I was like, who is this? Who is this really handsome guy that knows my name? And how does he know my name? So we went into the service and then went out after the service was over. And I made sure to stop by his door on the way out to say goodbye. And then we connected from there and he saw me on Facebook, but quickly sharing his story. According to him, we met at Chris and Kristen's engagement party when um, Kristen Dalton got engaged to her now husband, Chris Wolf. Uh, we were both at the engagement party, but I was so focused on the soon-to-be bride that I have no memory of meeting him. But if you do look at the big group photo, we are both there at the same time. So apparently we met, but I, I, I don't like, remember. I, I, like the church, <laughs> I think I'll go with the church story. I like that one the best. Exactly. I like that version, too. Well, in mentioning talking about men and self-esteem and confidence, I know you and Tegan Martin started something called Universal Confidence. Um, It's kind of it's a series of workshops that aims, you know, to help girls struggling with low self-esteem. So how did you two come up with that idea? Was was it something that triggered it for you that dealt with men or with pageants? Tegan and I both after Miss Universe, we were sitting in Miami having pizza as you do after you're competing <laughs> of internationally. You of course, you must. So we were sitting there competing or after Miss Universe having pizza and we wanted to do something together. We, we said we've both learned so much through pageantry, through life, different life experiences. We want to be able to use the tools that we've been provided and the things that we've learned to be able to give back. We just didn't know how to do it. So slowly but surely, universal confidence came about. We both just discussed the things that we've learned through pageantry and our different life experiences. And we wanted to be able to give back because we wish that we would have had someone that we looked up to to be more inspiring and to give us feedback and to give us words of wisdom when we were younger. So universal confidence is really targeted at women or young women between like ages of 16 and 23, our workshop specifically, because that's those are the years where you're really learning and making big life choices that can steer you in different directions for the rest of your life. So we wanted to be able to give that feedback and help from everything that we've learned. So anybody that wants to participate uh, in one of these workshops, how do they get a hold of you too? You can just reach out to us through my email right now because I'm, I'm handling everything when it comes to universal confidence. We also do private one-on-one coaching and our workshops will hopefully relaunch full on in 2019. We're kind of bringing everything back and redesigning everything, including a website that's going to be really interactive for all of our girls. So at the moment, Universal Confidence Instagram page or shoot me an email, but long-term it'll be universalconfidence.com and look for our workshops as well. Well, that's very cool that you two are doing that. So good for you. Thank you. Now, one thing I wanted to chat with you about before we go um, is, you know, everybody that sees your life, they think, oh, Nia's living the fairy tale. You know, I wish I had Nia's life or I wish I had, you know, Kristen's or Shandy's or Susie's life. And what they don't see is the adversities that you go through, the struggles, the difficulties that just like any other human being, you have to handle it and you have to get through it. Now, you mentioned earlier your parents are divorced, um, and I believe Mm -hmm. at the age of six, you and your mom lived in a women's shelter. So Mm -hmm. talk about how those hard times helped shape you into really who you've become. I think even just that is really what it is. It's when you have adversities and when you have hard times in your life, Either it's going to break you or it's going to shape you. So it's all about how you respond. 
respond and relate to adversities. When something bad happens to me, I, I'm probably a weirdo. I make the biggest choice to be like, awesome. So if X, Y, and Z happens, say like, I, you know, I get really sick before I have like my favorite trip of the year. I'm like, cool. I'm really sick now, but I'm going to be fine by the trip. And the trip is going to be the best trip ever because I got sick before. Like I'm just, I have, have had to choose to look at the positive or even create something positive when I've had terrible things come my way, whether it was living in a women's shelter, being in a really like the relationship was very unhealthy when I was 21, 22, before I met Daniel, um, lots of infidelity on his end and then got physically aggressive at the end. And it was something that I was embarrassed that I had even been a part of a relationship like that. But now I look at it as something that I can use to help others to hopefully learn from what I experienced, not to go through the same things that I went through. Uh, you know, so it's just, there could, there are definitely adversities in life. There are things that are terrible things that could actually break us down. But if we look at it in the right way, it can be something that makes us stronger and something that can help us help others in the future. Well, I think anybody that is extremely successful, you know, in their lives had some sort of paradigm shifting moment where they went through an adversity that they said, you know what? I'm never going to be back at this place again because it just hurts too much. An example would be like Tony Robbins um, said that when he was young, uh, a guy came to his door on Thanksgiving and gave his family a turkey. They were completely broke and poor, and it was one of the biggest reasons that he now feeds like a million people a year with one of his charities. Was there a moment in your life like that where you said, I'm never going to go back here again? It may have been. You know, I haven't thought about it and identified one specific thing, but it may have been that really bad relationship because I feel like that relationships in general, just they form our lives. They say the five people that you surround yourself with are the five people you're going to become most like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was maybe that relationship where I was like, you know what, I'm not, because I did, I became so firm in knowing what I wanted that I said, I'm not going to deal with this BS ever again. Um, I would, you know, one date, and if they weren't the one, then peace out, goodbye. Like, I had no time when it came to dating relationships that also transferred a bit into just my friendship relationships. I wasn't going to waste time with someone that, even friendship-wise, that wasn't positive or helping me grow or something that was good for myself as well. So that could have been the point that changed it. I really haven't thought and identified that specifically. Well, I know there's a lot of girls out there who go through what you went through with that type of relationship where they kind of feel trapped and they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I can get out of this. What is your advice to them on maybe how to move forward? Oh my goodness. I feel like I could talk about this forever. I love talking (laughs) about relationships. One of the things is surround yourself by strong women that will support you. Um, when you finally do decide to leave the relationship, stay busy. It is so easy to get pulled back into an unhealthy relationship because it's comfortable and it's what you know, even though you are very aware that it's not good for you. Um, so stay busy with good things, with classes, with girlfriends, with family, and block that man. If he ain't good for you, block him on everything. Cell phone, email, <laughs> Instagram, block, 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 because... You know, you just don't want to waste your time with someone that is going to tear you down and not be a part of your future. All right. Some good advice there. Well, hey, before we go, so tell me what's going on as we jump into 2019 here coming up. What's in the future for Nia Sanchez? So many great things in 2019. My number one passion, my self-defense workshops for women. So stay tuned on my social media about that. But 
beyond that, I also have For Love and Ladies, which is a women's networking and event company and universal confidence. So a lot of wonderful things going on. Stay tuned on my social media. It'll all be there. Real Nia Sanchez. Well, hey, you're doing an awesome job out there. I love how supportive you are of other women and just all the, the things that you are doing along with other, you know, formers to just kind of help people to grow and to, to build themselves up and develop a sisterhood. So great job and, and keep it up. And thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so good talking with you. That is today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, the podcast app, Google Play, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And by the way, if you're still involved in the pageant world and you're wondering, well, what is Life After the Crown going to look like for me and how do I prepare for it? Well, I highly encourage you to download my free Life After the Crown starter guide. It's a quick read. It's going to give you a great blueprint on how to start planning now and not when it's all over. So to get it, just go to timtialdo.com slash starter guide and you can get it there for free. And for weekly podcast updates, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Galatians 6-7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. See you next time, everybody. Music